lower your expectations. It's a hockey podcast with Lance and Randall. Hello and welcome to the Youth Hockey Podcast, episode 13. Lance, can you think of anything you'd like to have more of, well, 13 of, what, what would you like to have 13 of right, right now, other than the Youth Hockey Podcast? Uh, well, only one other thing, I think, and that's uh, millions. Millions, 13 millions. Well, well done, my friend. Well done. Uh, so uh, today, Lance wants to talk a little bit uh, about keeping up with the Joneses. Uh, and in our, our, our neighborhood, uh, the Joneses were named, uh, not the Joneses, they were the, uh, um, uh, the let's call them the Smiths. Uh, I, I just realized I shouldn't tell, say their name. So uh, we didn't have the Joneses in Valencia. We had the Smiths. So uh, go ahead, Lance. Uh, yes. And, you know, I, I get this topic from, uh, I like to read what's happening in the world of hockey. And I noticed there was a lot of discussions about uh, different uh, families who felt like they were being left behind and wanted to keep up with the Joneses. And, um, but what I wanted to remind parents, especially new parents coming in, uh, sometimes you feel that pressure that if I'm not doing if I'm not having my kid do the same amount as that family, then we're losing ground to them and we're not developing as quick as them. But what you got to realize is that from a financial situation, from a family situation, and just from an individual child's psyche and demeanor, everyone's different. So to try to match your kid to some other family probably does more disservice and harm to your child than and help because everyone has their own pace everyone has their own arc of, of development and trying to keep up with uh, someone else who maybe has a different financial situation than you or maybe their kid has a different interest level or skill level uh, I think it just ends up uh, with a lot of disappointment you know I always tried to forge my own path Oh, but we're all a bunch of lemmings. Come on. Don't tell me you didn't occasionally hear about some camp that some other kid went to and you thought, oh, I want to take my kid to that camp too. Always, of course. Uh, and even now I've seen a couple of, I know a couple of people heading to Canada, uh, or they were before uh, all Bedlam broke loose. Uh, and I thought to myself exactly like you, like, hey, you know, my first thought was I'd like my kids to go to that camp. And I think that would be incredible. And then uh, I followed it up with, uh, well, gee, if my kids aren't going to that camp, then we're losing ground. <laughs> the same exact thing. But, you know, like I said, uh, some of these camps are expensive. Some people can afford. I know one family, uh, the Smiths, who uh, I think they had their son in Canada the entire summer. But... Uh, Junior Smith, dad had like a lot more zeros after his monthly check than I have. So I, I hear he came out of that experience extremely polite. <laughs> exactly. Who, the kid? Well, I'm just trying to play upon the stereotype of very polite uh, Canadians. I was just trying to be nice. I was like, <laughs> and out of the experience, he not only became a great hockey player, but he was extraordinarily polite. Yes, I, I probably uh, believe that. You know, and hey, if I'm going to be full disclosure and honest, uh, spending a, you know, the entire summer with uh, a person who coaches NHL top level players, I mean, 
I will tell you, he came out a hell of a lot of better skater than when he went into that summer. And, but again, would I love my kid to do it? Sure. Can I afford, you know, three, $400 an hour, seven days a week for an entire summer? No. You know, so you got to make do with what you got. Well, it's not always making do. I, I think also, Lance, there's a keeping up with the Jones element that if you're a little bit, um, if you can get a little ingenuity, you can get a lot of what that parent gets by overspending, by just going to stick times with, uh, you know, with, with a kid that pushes your son or daughter, or, or spending a little more time on the ice uh, with with someone who's got a critical eye, or maybe even self-motivated, uh, once you get to bantams and midgets and things, they can actually go out and, and become better by themselves. Uh, I do think that the keeping up with the Joneses ethos is, is part of the sport, but there's also ways around it which aren't quite as satisfying in conversation. You don't get to say, oh, yes, my son was in Calgary all summer. Although if you've ever been to Calgary, you'll know that's not that great. Sorry, Calgary people, I've been there. Um, but, but, you know, just because you, you don't get to say those cool things, hey, if your kid's getting up at six o'clock in the morning every morning and is on the ice two and a half hours at stick time doing their own drills and playing, uh, you know, my son did it with his brother. Uh, and my son got much, much better because he had an older brother that uh, that was was cripplingly <laughs> critical of everything he did. Uh, not cripplingly. He's a good kid. But, you know, he was very critical. He had an eye. And uh, my, my son came out of a, a summer uh, much, much better. Now, it's not the same kind of, you know, concierge service you get at the at the. Um, at the camps and things like that, but it's still, it's, it, you know, uh, keeping up with the Joneses, I think sometimes you have to just know you're not going to be able to uh, out, outright the check or, you know, have a checking account that keeps up with them, but you can, I think, uh, get your kid on the ice a comparable amount of time. And that often mitigates uh, a lot of the differences between, between their experience. Right, exactly. The other thing too, like you said, is, I mean, there's many different paths to get to the same place. There's many different roads, many different options. And I always think back, uh, and I think you'll remember, there were several kids that we knew who went from a very early age, went to the, uh, the glitz and the glitter, the, the known name brand program, the AAA, whereas uh, I always took the path, especially in the beginning, of going with the least expensive option, trying to make the right decisions and putting them with the right coaches. You know, one family went one way, we went the other way. We both ended up on the same AAA team at Banham. So, you know, who's to say which way is better or worse? I, I mean, I look back and say, well, hey, I saved a lot of money going my route. You know? Well, and my wife, say, uh, you know, Heather likes to talk about, you remember, and you'll know these three kids, let's call them A, B, and C. Uh, one kid, A, never did anything other than in-house and uh, tournament teams. Uh, one kid, uh, B, uh, did the double-A program with, uh, with uh, Coach Pavel, and he did a very good job with him, and, and then went to prep school. Uh, and then Coach C, or I'm sorry, Player C, uh, was uh, actually Smith's kid who was, you know, at the AAA programs, constantly doing all the camps, all the everything. And they all landed in the same spring league one year. And I looked out on the ice and 
I know it's going to be hard to believe because some people think in-house teams, there's no way that kid, the kid from in-house was scoring more than the other two kids were. He couldn't skate as well. You know, I mean, there are little differences. The, the kid, the kid that was the in-house kid had a beautiful release. I mean, quick release. He had a great scorer's touch. And then the second kid, the kid that had done double A, he was skating uh, furiously and he knew how to, you know, he really knew, uh, knew a feel for the game. Very smart. Uh, hockey player. And then the one that was AAA all the way, he was refined, he was polished. But if you were to tell me, which of the three players do you want on your team next year? I don't, I mean, uh, a real judge of hockey skill would, would, would probably pick out one over the other two. But I looked at them uh, and I said, ah, they all are very different and they all are very good. Um, and, you know, I don't know which one I'd want on my hockey team. Right. I mean, and it just reinforces that there's multiple ways to get to the same place or beyond. And uh, uh, I always think of, uh, I know I've brought it up before, uh, the goalie from the Heat. You know, yeah. he played uh, single A, double A uh, his entire career. And, um, you know, that senior year is when he finally uh, kind of moved on to the big time and got drafted by the Philadelphia Flyers. And, uh, and I think it goes back to, I think I may have mentioned it before, but, you know, we were told at one time to get to the very pinnacle, uh, or as President Trump these days would say, to get to the apex. Uh, we, it takes one part luck, one part God-given skill, and one part uh, heart and hard work and desire, you know? And if those three all come together, you, you know, then you got something. You know, I think the goalie from the Heat definitely had uh, uh, he had those three components. I mean, you know, his his opportunity to present himself definitely was kind of a, a bit of luck, where he ended up on a a team that the coach of the Philadelphia Flyers' son happened to be on. You know. Now I know, Lance. Uh, other people have questions for you, but I now have a question for you after sure. listening to the keep, if you don't mind. Um, and then we'll we'll get on to my my comments, but. Um, the one place I think the keeping up with the Joneses is, is something that's very hard to handle uh, is when other parents can get their kids on the ice. Let's, once you've formed a team and your team has, let's say, 15 kids on it, um, the kids that get to be with the coach more often, don't they very often get you know, some kind of preferential treatment, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, we talk about summer and spring and all the times that don't matter to your kids ice time in the season. But how about the the aspect which is during the season, when you can't pay to get your kid on the ice with the coach that's coaching that same kid? You know, that's interesting, because uh, that was a topic that uh, several of us talked about uh, not too long ago, coaches, parents and and that topic came up about the fact that I think some of the parents had a perceived notion that it was a pay to play type of situation you know but then I got to hear the coach's perspective on it and he was saying okay if I have two guys and one guy is out here five days a week and the other guy doesn't come out and do any extra work he said over the course of the season which kid is going to develop more the kid who's not putting in any extracurricular time or the kid who's out there five days a week. He said, the kid who's out there five days a week, he isn't getting more opportunities because 
he's paying to play. He's getting more opportunities because he's growing and developing faster. And, well, if I uh, could have a counterpoint to that, though, what if that kid is on uh, on the ice every morning and he doesn't see him on the ice? He just doesn't have the money to pay that put that put that cash in the coach's pocket, but he can go out and do exactly as much work as that other kid can. Now, that's a little it's kind of weird because the person that's the gatekeeper for your son um, is the one that's making the decisions is the one that's also taking money from some of the other kids on the on the team uh, to, to make those decisions as well, to be put in that position to make the decisions. So you can see where, you know, maybe the coach doesn't know how much your kid's doing outside of the rink, but he's doing twice as much as someone else. Well, you would hope it would show, you know, and like you said, a good coach would notice that, hey, look, you know, Johnny isn't coming out to our – our, uh, uh, our skates, but damn, he's getting better and he's doing well. I mean, that's how you hope it would work. You know, obviously in the real world, sometimes it doesn't work that way. And there's sometimes there's coaches who maybe look at it purely from a financial aspect. And there's, there's coaches because out there that I know, because we've played for them before, who really truly were looking for the betterment of the team. And he wanted the best players out there at, at critical times in the game. And so whether you were paying money to do his privates or not, he was going to put you in there. If you were that guy, if you were one of the critical components of the team. But like I said, but you told me that there was one time when your son was the leading scorer and he was not getting critical time. What was your explanation for that? Right. That was different. Don't you, you forgot. That was just our last. I podcast. do. That is daddy coaches. That has nothing to do with I, money. That is no, but daddy. you told me, you told me privately that that wasn't daddy coaches. The, the, the part th uh, that we were talking about where Chris was uh, like the leading scorer, there wasn't a daddy coach on that team. Was no, there? there was. Oh, I'm sorry. That was my yeah, yeah. It was, it, it, was, it was definitely daddy coaches. Okay. Well, then that's my uh, – I'm sorry. I didn't mean to call you out on that. I, I honestly thought that, that, you know, because I, I think uh, the only thing I'm saying is um, when the coach who's taking your money, your extra money – also has all of the power over how much your son plays, that's a time when I think keeping up with the Joneses is especially hurtful because you're like, God, if I could just pay that guy a little bit more, my kid could have more fun and be on the ice more and, and do more cool things. Um, and maybe this is just a California thing, by the way, too. I'm not saying that every uh, locality has this, you know, this kind of pressure on the coaches, but um, you know, By the way, uh, I, I think, you just yeah. gave a perfect argument for a prep school, too, because yeah. in, in a prep school environment, you don't have to deal with that because all the privates are free. It's all included. Yeah, but let's face yeah. it. The, uh, the, then also, what if your kid is not, uh, you know, you don't have parents around. I'm sorry. Uh, that's not a perfect argument for prep school. <laughs> that's, a, that's an argument for prep school, but it's a very narrow one. I think there are a lot more. There's a lot more in a kid's life than how much his ice time is, even though we hit the podcast would love to talk about ice time for hours. But what I'm saying is, is that when, like, like you said, when you're in California and ice is very expensive, um, yeah. you know, it's hard to get, get your kid on the ice there if he has to pay for the coach's fee, the stick time fee, all that. But then, um, but you can't have that. But again, it goes back to do your homework, know the coach yeah. that you're playing for. 
Talk to other parents. Were you ever treated badly, do you think, because you didn't have as much money? Not that you were treated well because you, you could pay for extra, but do you ever feel like you were treated badly because you couldn't pay for something? You know, for me, no. I don't think, okay. uh, I, I mean, I've had, well, but, but, but again, you know, to be fair to your question, uh, as you know, I mean, I'm fortunate enough to be in a position where, for the most part, my kids did do one or two, once, at least once a week typically historically worked with a coach once a week. So I was, I, I don't, I can't remember. I'm trying to remember a, situ a situation or a, a season where we just didn't do it. And I think if there were a few seasons that we did that, it had to be like at the might level, but beyond the yeah. might level, like, and even this year, I gotta be honest with you, this year driving out to Irvine, which for anyone who knows Valencia to Irvine, I mean, it was seven taking, hours. Yeah. It was taking my kids like two up two plus hours to get there. So I remember up front, we just had kind of made the commitment that even if we wanted to, we're not doing privates because it's just uh, financially, it's going to be better for us. And just from the feasibility of time, it's not going to uh, work out for our schedule. And guess what? As the season wore on, my kids were out there two days a week. They were making the sacrifice. They were driving there. And so even this year, when it probably would have been the perfect reason not to, uh, we did it anyway. And, uh, uh, and part of it was because my sons loved their teammates so much. They wanted to be on that ice with them as much as possible. And, you know, most uh, every other kid lived in that neighborhood. So it was very easy for them to show up. So it was just kind of the thing to do. So even in a, in a year when I said, now nah, we're not going to do it, we did it. So. Yeah. It sounds like you. Exactly. sounds like me. Right. Is there anything else you want to say about keeping up with the Joneses before we move on? Uh, well, just to summarize again, you know, make the decisions that's right for your kid. Don't make the decisions. You know, I, I'll give you the perfect analogy there was that, you know, and this was like, boy, might level. Um, we had a kid come into the locker room before, uh, before a game, and I was in there tying my son's skates. And I think I told you this before. And he was drinking a Slurpee from 7-Eleven while everyone's getting ready. And you know, he's an eight-year-old boy enjoying his Slurpee. He gets on the ice and has a hat trick in the game. Uh, I go into the locker room the next weekend for our game and every kid in the locker room had a Slurpee. And uh, so I guess the point is this, is just because the Slurpee you think gave him a hat trick doesn't mean it's gonna work for every other kid on the team. Every kid is different. So don't worry about the Joneses, worry about your family. I was going to ask, did everyone have a hat trick that game or not? Well, of course, you know that uh, probably the same kid had the hat trick again. He was there you go. Player, there you but, go. Yeah, uh, the Slurpee kid. Uh, yeah, I think the Slurpee had nothing to do with the fact he was just good. Understandable. Understandable. Well, um, I wanted to chime in, uh, and Lance actually brought this to my attention, uh, which uh, is, uh, you know, we talk about money. Uh, what We don't often talk about fundraising. We did fundraising – all the way through peewees pretty much. Um, and I, I have a couple thoughts on, on what makes a good fundraiser and what makes a bad one. Um, they used to force uh, uh, the people to pay into a fundraising uh, pot um, for tickets for uh, uh, something at the end of the year. And I'm like, that's not fundraising. That's just charging us more money so that we can watch our kids on the ice fundraising is when you go to companies or uh, individuals that ha are quite comfortable in the life and you 
get them to assist your team uh, or pay into the team. Uh, Lance once did it with a car company. Um, we have done it uh, with, with um, uh, a company with t-shirts and things like that. But it's much, much better. And I still don't understand why organizations like make you sell Christmas trees or <laughs> I was say that. yeah, I know Christmas trees or, or wreaths. to sell Christmas trees. What? I told them, no. Do you remember that? I was like, no, not going to sell a Christmas tree. They're like, well, then you have to pay. And I was like, okay, I'll pay, you know, but just so you know, you haven't helped me. This fundraising idea is not helping. Um, you know, there's some good Christmas tree. Exactly. There are some good ways of doing it. I mean, there are some uh, things that, you, you know, you invite everyone to a fundraiser at, at one of the fast food restaurants and you see who shows up. You get people to, you know, pay, uh, um, what is the fundraiser? There's a fundraiser where you get people to shop using a certain code or something like that and they get 2% back or have you heard oh, of that? Some of the local stores. Yeah. I see that all the time. Like you said, where yeah. you go in and Tuesday night at... Uh, at the local burger joint is, uh, you know, Valencia Flyers night. And everyone that goes in there and tells them that you're with the program, you just order your normal food. They give a portion of it back to the club. I'm going to date myself, but I remember when uh, charities could like have bingo. Do you remember bingo? I remember bingo, but I'm going to date myself. You remember this, Randy? Yeah, I remember in our first three or four years of playing hockey, we had to go down to the King game and sell programs to the game. And the Kings would give us oh. half the money. You remember that? Did you oh. guys ever do that? No, we weren't that. We, we, you couldn't get us out of the Valley. There's no way we would have gone down there. Yeah, no we way. did that multiple times. And then the payback was, is if you sold enough programs to the game and who buys programs to hockey anymore? But that, that was a thing of the seventies. Nobody buys, but if you sold enough, you could go down into the tunnel and high five the players as they got on the ice. Oh, that sounds like fun. Yeah. It sounds like fun. Anyway, <laughs> I'm just saying uh, at this day and age, uh, try to make the fundraisers something, uh, uh, cyber, uh, make it something that, uh, everyone can, you know, like, uh, uh can, can buy if they want or not. Uh, I hate the force that uh, a fundraiser at the end of a, at the end of a threat, is like, uh, I, I just, I, I, I'm so annoyed when people like say, okay, here, you have to sell these five mugs, give us $150 and you can make the money back when you sell them. I'm like five mugs for $150. Wait a second. I could do the math. That's $30 a mug. Are you kidding me? Uh, I had a conversation like that. Sounds like a fun conversation. Remember though, I, I, have to yeah. admit, I feel like I pulled off the best fundraiser ever. And I don't that know sounds if like you were on our team, but uh, I know you, you remember that because I'm sure I, I talked about it all, which was uh, back in, in these days, um, the Kings were just half empty, the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, they were typically uh, in the bottom half of the, of the rankings every year, weren't making the playoffs. They were having trouble getting fans into the seats. So I was able to work a deal with the Kings at that time where they were giving us $20 tickets for $5. And their theory was go out and sell these $20 tickets for $20. You'll make a $15 profit and you'll sell a few tickets and make some money for the club. And, and I asked them at the time, now, can I 
do, as long as I pay you $5 a ticket, am I free to manage this any way I want? Or are there restrictions? And they said, no, you're free to do whatever you want with the tickets. And I said, perfect. So I turned around and instructed all the people on the team to sell the tickets for $10 a ticket, which was $10 under the King's face value. And we're still making, uh, you know, we're doubling our money there. We're paying five, we're making 10. And we sold tons and tons and tons of tickets. If I remember correctly, I think we brought in like three, $4,000 in profits. See, Lance, that's why we need you on the board. <laughs> exactly. You got to think know outside the board the box, of what, but right? That's right. Uh, there's a couple questions. Uh, are you right. ready for questions? Okay. Sure. Uh, what do you think about kids paying for their own hockey? Uh, do you think that there's a time uh, in which the kids should be um, expected to pay for their own stick times, own equipment? Uh, you know, uh, this is a very California-based question. I'm sure there are kids all over the country that pay for their own stuff all the time. When do you, or when have you noticed kids paying for it out here? I think uh, it probably starts at about their senior year that I've seen. Because I noticed that a lot of the kids that we knew that when they became, and they were a little older, when they became seniors, they started working in the pro shop. Uh, they were working at the rink. They had part-time jobs so they could actually contribute to the, uh, to the cost. Or they can buy themselves some sticks or if they wanted a special pair of skates, they could do that. You know, I mean, obviously below the age of 16, the kid's not going to have a job most likely. So there's not much they could do there. But the other problem too, that you run into. Yeah, my son had a job when he was 14, my friend, 14. Wasn't it just like a summer job though? Or well, what are you, are you going to like, are you going to crap all over my son's summer job when he's 14? Well, okay. Let me ask you a question. How many? Oh, that hurts. That hurts. Job? Yeah. He right? worked at uh, uh, Six Flags uh, all summer. I thought I was pretty impressed. I mean, it's impressive, and it shows uh, maturity that he worked there. But I'm just thinking, at the end of the summer, he probably had enough to buy what one, two sticks. Oh my God, you are so mean. <laughs> but but so when have you seen kids uh, starting to pay? I mean, I would say this: so once you graduate, I mean, in my mind, once my kid graduates from high school, I would expect them to either be playing at a at a high level of hockey or B, paying for his own men's league fees, <laughs> playing uh, adult league hockey at that point, yeah. you know? I can understand that. Yeah, I can understand that. Uh, question number two, um, when do you think uh, correcting kids uh, after a game, do you th what do you think about correcting kids after a game? Do you let the coach do it uh, up until a certain age? Uh, do, you, do you just uh, provide parent support? Or do you think that uh, a father needs to be able to tell uh, a son or daughter, you know, at any time uh, when he sees something missing or wrong or, or something that needs correction? Well, let me tell you this. Uh, the official answer from like a USA Hockey and all the, uh, all the experts in the field will tell you that the parents need to be there to love and support their kid and give them an attaboy and pat them on the back. Uh, but I would defy you to show me a dad or a mom who's not been, you know, critical or, or made comments to their kid after games. I mean, it's just human nature. And, and I guarantee you 99.9% .9 of every parent 
falls into that trap, you know, and I'd love to say like, hey, when my kid was there, I supported him, but I did it. I saw things. I said, hey, did you notice this? Did you notice that? It's just human nature, right? Yeah, no. What age do you think uh, is the time where you can be more critical? Like if, if you were like, not, not USA Hockey, but in your own uh, recollection, what, what age did you start treating them more like young men and less like uh, kids? I mean, from my own perspective, and I'm sure every expert is going to tell me how completely wrong I am, but I would say, you know, when they're young and six, seven, eight, nine, ten, you know, it should be more about helping them love the game. You know, when they, when they start to get towards when it's more serious and you're checking, so like at the Bantam age, maybe you can uh, uh, give them some comments or two. But, but the thing is, is that once they start getting older, too, at that point, it's probably getting beyond my own personal expertise that I am best left leaving that uh, to the coaches anyway. But I will tell you that funny story. That That's I a great point. By the time, by the time you should start actually criticizing your kids, uh, they're no longer listening anyway. <laughs> exactly. So. And we had, a, we had a, a very good friend of mine whose son, uh, he, he came to me and said like, Hey man, what, you know, what advice do you have? Because he said, like, he'd come to his son and say, hey, look, you know, not your best game. Let's talk about it. And basically, the kind of son was like, I don't want to hear your crap, Dad. Get out of my face. And just went to his room and shut the door. And he's like, I'm not even well, that's not working in my family. I'm just trying to, 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 to talk to you about it. You know what I mean? And like you said, you know, once they start uh, becoming men, they don't want to, you know what I mean? They have their own thoughts and they don't want to hear it from you. But I will say. Yeah, but they don't have to be disrespectful. That sounded disrespectful. What you were saying there, uh, I'm not listening to you and slamming the door. I got to tell you, that to me, I, I cannot imagine that flying in my household. And it's not because I'm like, uh, you know, a Clint Eastwood over here. But you do have to respect the time and effort that a parent puts in to, to help a kid out. And I think a, a child that, that acts disrespectfully, uh, you, can, you can be, you know, you can say you don't want to listen. Uh, and, and get away with that. But to act disrespectfully while you do it, I, I don't think I could handle. Now, but now the counterpoint B was what happens if you're that poor boy who feels like I've listened to this for the last 10 years. I'm just done with it. I'm so done. Um, but you're right. I mean, you, well, then you shouldn't be playing anymore. Right. You know, you shouldn't be playing anymore. If you, if you, if you feel like uh, it's that big of a, a, a weight on you, on your shoulders and things like that, you know, there's always the exit ramp. Uh, and, and as long as parents are okay with that, and I think they should be, um, you know, that doesn't bother me at all. Now, remember uh, what I, I, I told character? you. Okay, I was say before you do that, I'll finish up by saying this. But also remember, yeah. I told you about uh, Seth Jones. Uh, I, last I remember, he's played for the Columbus Blue Jackets. But he, he had that story, funniest story ever. If people have a chance, go to uh, the Players' Tribune and look up Seth Jones, and, and the Players' Tribune is a magazine for different pro athletes of multiple sports, and they write the articles about their experiences, and Seth Jones wrote about how, like, he was going, I can't remember who the player was, but I'll just say for the heck of it, uh, he was going one-on-one -on -one with Crosby. Crosby made him look embarrassingly bad, faking him out and scoring. He said when he got to the locker room between periods, he had already gotten about 30 texts from his mom calling him out and wanting to know uh, why he was playing with his head up his rear end. And so, hey, even in a pro level, parents still want to give you their two cents. 
Uh, that doesn't sound like a mom that I would be disrespectful towards either. That sounds like a scary <laughs> mom. Uh, oh, exactly. Okay. Okay, I got my uh, coach. Uh, I got my character here, uh, and uh, I, you know I'm putting him on the screen. I'm, I, I typed it out for Lance, but please react just like you are uh, the parent uh, in this situation. Are you? Are you? However, reading my by the way, may I say something yes. before you start? Of course. This, it happened to me. Uh, when did our season end? In mid February. So I would say this happened to me in mid February. So go ahead. They're good. Good. I'm glad. I, I had no idea. We didn't set this up. As you can tell, at the Youth Hockey Podcast. We're not into preparation. Uh, actually, that's not true. Lance prepares all the time. Uh, but here, here's my character, and uh, I'll, I'll call you Mr. Alexander then. Hey, Mr. Alexander. Oh, it's really nice to talk to you. I'm sorry we didn't get to talk as much during the season. Uh, yeah, I think I heard your team had a, a, a good, uh, a, you know, a respectable season. I wish we would have uh, gone a little further ourselves, but, you know. Uh, we're going to get him next yeah, year. Yeah, I, I saw that your team didn't do as well as, I mean, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm just asking questions here. Your team really didn't do as well as, as, as you expected, did it? Not at all, but, you know, a uh, great group of kids, and we tried hard, and I think they grew a lot. Yeah, uh, yeah, but don't you think you deserve, well, I'm just asking, though, don't you think you deserve a little more maybe for next, for, I mean, I'm not talking about next season yet because uh, it's still February, but uh, if I were talking about next season, don't you think you deserve a, a little bit more? Uh, well, hey, we'd like to win, of course. Yeah, you know. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, but more well, importantly you know, to me is development. I'm, on, I'm the assistant coach of a team that, that, uh, that does both. We, uh, we, we develop and we, we also make certain that we put the kids in a position to win. And I just wanted to come over and introduce myself because I, I you know, I, I could tell. You are, your kids are winners, 100% winners. Uh, and I, I just was wondering why they were on the team that they're on. Development. And, uh, we, you know, we, uh, I think we underperformed. Uh, there was, we had some underachievers. But like I said, it was a good season. I'm happy. I looked back on our season and was very happy. Okay. The character is the assistant coach that wants to talk about next season after you've had a crappy season and it's just ended. Uh, you've never talked to – the assistant coach never talks to you at all. And then all of a sudden at the end of the season, uh, and I didn't do a great job of, of showing this through, through my character. I, I, I apologize. But uh, it, it happened to everyone, I think, or at least a lot of people, is that a person that you've never talked to before in your life, almost never comes into the stands, never does anything, all of a sudden is chatting with you about next season. And you're just sitting there going, I, you, I, I, I don't even know you. How am I supposed to talk to you about next season after just finishing a crappy season? And crappy, well, I don't by the mean, way, by the way, I, was, exactly. I didn't mean to put you in the position of crappy season, by the way. L uh, when I said Lance, uh, that was not being in a crappy season. Uh, but I, I, I'm just saying, if you just had a bad season and somebody comes up to talk to you about next season, it's, it's very hard sometimes. Right. And like you said, for us, it wasn't about a crappy season. It was about being eliminated no. from the playoffs uh, sooner than we, we felt like we should have, you know, and yeah. we had some hard breaks. So like you said, I mean, is that the right time to approach someone? I don't know, because yes. we were all pretty down. And then all of a sudden, someone wants to talk to you. I'm still trying to lick my wounds from this season. You know? I know, I know. That's what I mean. And it, it, it seems like, you know, like if you would have talked to me last weekend when we brought that banner home, wow, that would have been a great time. But they never do. They always wait until they just got eliminated because that's when that season's over. And then they come and talk to you. And I'm like, come on, guys, get some timing. Talk to me two weekends before when we pulled off the upset in Minnesota. 
don't talk to me right after we got drummed out in Michigan uh, 7-0 to a team of, you know, like, I don't know what you call them, like uh, nuclear power plant kids, seven feet tall, twice as big as us, twice as physical as us, and, and we didn't have a chance. Um, anyway, so that's my character of the week. Question, Randy. Yeah. Now, is this character, I'm yes, going to yes. give you a character. Now, is this character the same as your character or, is, or no? Um, I don't know. Do you remember the, the coach who a uh, long time ago, and we wanted that, we were trying to get a team at our local rink together for our kids' age group. And I'll be honest, I don't remember what age it was. It might've been like peewee or something. And remember, we were talking to the club. We were talking to the coaches and hey, we know Billy might be available. Johnny might be available. David, Chris, Johnny, Max, all these guys. We gotta, we gotta talk to these guys. We gotta talk to these guys. We could put together a great team, remember? And, and it was always like, uh, talking on deaf ears, nobody heard, nobody listened, and then I'll never forget Randy Gifford and I sitting in the stands during tryouts, and I think there's like two kids on the ice trying out for the team that we were hoping yeah. would have been there at our local rink. And remember, the coach comes and sits, "Hey, so what ages are your kids? Are they interested in playing?" And do you remember that that guy yeah, we went from parent to parent in the stands? I remember saying like, "Well, you know, we were interested two weeks ago, but we've already signed somewhere else because." No one seems that's to what care. I mean. When it's too late, uh, that's right. When it's too late, everyone seems to be jumping on the bandwagon. Hey, let's put a team together. When it's time to do it, uh, you know, it's just a timing, you know, like you can't do it too early. You can't do it when you just lost and you can't do it the second night of tryouts because the second exactly. night of tryouts, everyone's desperate. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Yep. Well, thank you all very much for listening. Uh, this is episode 13, uh, lucky 13 of the Youth Hockey Podcast. For Lance Alexander, this is Randall Gifford. Thank you for listening.